We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Prize Picks coming at you Friday morning. It's February 9th, and we have a 24 point Wolves win in Milwaukee on Thursday night to get to the most, most dominant performance of the season. I think certainly their best uh, offensive game of the year. Uh, we'll also look back at the trade deadline a little bit um, that has now come and passed. We'll talk a little bit uh, more about Monte Morris with Brits. Um, also got to ask Finch and a couple of players uh, about Morris after the game, so we can reference some of that. Um, but Britt, I want to focus. I want to focus on this game. It was a a game against a good opponent on trade deadline day that I'm kind of sitting there. I'm like, I feel like we've been talking about trades all day, and the Wolves are playing uh, the the Milwaukee Bucks. Granted, without Damian Lillard uh, or or Chris Middleton, but within that context, the Wolves looked levels uh above uh where where Milwaukee was and I thought the the offense was a big was a big part of that the numbers say it was their best offensive game of the season what part of the offense in that game stood out to you most quick decisions uh more than anything I can't remember how few well uh it struck me how few plays there were where somebody was just dribbling the ball yeah um Almost never happened. There was uh, the ball movement was crisp, the player movement off the ball. I mean, what's interesting to me is they did the things that are eminently predictable that they should do if they're going to play good defense. And so they did them and they played good defense. Um, Anthony Edwards had nine assists and zero turnovers in large part because he got off the ball at the right times. He was patient in terms of not worrying about a double, uh, not trying to break a double. Just remember how when uh, a couple of years ago when people figured out that if Cat had his back to defenders, mm-hmm. they could double team him and uh, then he yeah. would panic and whatever. Well, Ed doesn't necessarily panic. He just has this arrogance that he could beat that double uh, rather than just get off the ball. No. And so – uh, six of his nine assists were three points, three point shots. Uh, two of the other three were dunks to Rudy. One uh, a little bit of a uh, 
the most moving dunk I've ever seen Rudy make. I mean, it's from like seven feet out when he caught the ball. Uh, and then the other one was a floater by Naw. But um, the six times that were threes is exactly why uh, I've been so impatient with Ant's mid-range game and his proclivity for just driving into people and getting fouls. I mean, I've kind of accepted that that's part of Cat's DNA. And by the way, he did that very, very few times this, mm -hmm. this last night too. But the, the fact that Ant has a really good court vision and when he focuses on it is an extremely good passer, uh, makes the kinds of passes that are not showboaty like Cat can be sometimes, but are also surprising to a defense. They can shift the floor. They can be skipped passes. There was one last night that Jim P commented on where the bounce pass was high enough, even in traffic, where Rudy could catch the ball and then go up and dunk it. Um, he just had a good judgment game. And I don't know whether this last loss was finally the straw that broke the camel's back on this team's offensive stupidity, but uh, they were not stupid last night. They only turned the ball over eight times. Cat had nine dimes. Mike Conley had nine dimes. Rudy had four. Um, and I thought the ball movement and the lack of dribbling were the big reasons and Milwaukee's bad defense. Yeah, I it the, the ball movement stood out to me too. Just I, I kept being like, wow, they they didn't pass it on that possession. Like, or they didn't dribble it on that possession mm. after like they, they brought the ball up, got into action, bing, bing, bing. There was, there was a bunch of those possessions. I, I thought it was the most effective, the, the pick and roll game had looked. And I think that's where mm -hmm. so many, where so many of these assists came from, whether it was directly um, to Rudy or, you know, Mike uh, off of that or swinging it. Yeah. To, to somebody to just get a good look out of, um, out of the pick and roll game, and that that was kind of the the framework of where I went into post game. And was like, okay, you know, Finch, can this is this part of the answer? Is pick just more pick and roll uh, part of part of the answer to improving this this defense overall? And he got into what you were just just talking about uh, with Ant. There, I'll I'll play that clip here. How much of, can pick and roll be part of the answer for for the offense? Well, I mean, it's always going to be a large part of you know every offense. I think um, you know, I think what you see is like a, a developing chemistry, you know, that with Ant, and it's going to another level. Like, it's not just Ant finding Rudy. I mean, that was the first thing we had to try to unlock. But now it's like the timing of it, the setting it up, um, you know, the when to go downhill, when to hold the screen, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of growing. Um, and Ant's really done a good job of uh, when they put multiple bodies in front of him and pick and roll or at the nail, you know, of, of getting off of it. And that's triggered good good ball movement. So. That, that's the thing, right, is the, the ball movement kind of comes off of the end of that, right, if you don't immediately get, you know, Rudy on the roll or a hockey assist to Nas in the corner or something like that. Uh, even if it doesn't, the pick and roll doesn't directly lead to a bucket. It's direct more frequently, or at least in that game, was directly leading to ball movement off of that, and they eventually sort of found found a good look there. It's I, I do think Ant is growing, and this team just giving that it has Rudy Gobert 
it needs to be a team that's good in pick and roll, not just Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, pick and roll. They need to have uh, additional guys. And obviously Anthony Edwards is the, the next guy you look to there. And and I was struck uh, by what, what Mike Conley said a week ago when I asked him about structure in the locker room. You know, you seem to put more structure into the late game offense. And he said, yes, but there are still reads off that structure. And if you pause in your reads, then the structure breaks down because the flow, I mean, there's it, people hear flow and they think about Fitch's flow offense, which everybody regards as just uh, winging it. But there's also a flow to a structured offense, and that is being crisp in your decision-making and what you're doing because the other four guys are doing things in a structured offense. They know what the play is, and so therefore they're moving to accommodate the play. And if somebody pauses a pregnant second or two, um, it's going to screw up the rhythm. And that is what I was impressed by last night, was that so many of those dimes looked like telepathy because even if it wasn't like a set play call, a rhythm had developed that these guys have all played with each other long enough to know that when the ball starts moving in a certain time and certain place, that they can reasonably expect that they should reasonably at least adjust what they're doing to create that rhythm and further that rhythm. And so often uh, why this team has broken down on offense is because one of the two main scorers has decided to stop that rhythm and see if they can get something on their own. And it's just been sickening. I mean, it, it just, it is, uh, there's a tremendous amount of offensive talent on this team and they've languished near the bottom 10, right above the bottom 10 all year. And um, I don't know as much as most of the people inside a team know about basketball. And it has been blatantly obvious to me. I've never been so sure of my diagnosis of what's going wrong with this team. And then you go to the stats and they all match up to that. You know, it's just, uh, if I know it and I'm barking about it into the air, imagine what Chris Finch has been doing behind the scenes. You know, he went over the entire fourth quarter of the Orlando collapse. And then this team goes and shits the bed again in Chicago. I mean, finally, maybe uh, they're getting a clue because... They've been so reliant on their defense all year, they they can't continue to think that they will make hay in the postseason with a 19th-ranked defense. It needs offense, to be offense, – yeah. offense, I'm sorry. It needs to be at least above average, and I, it could very easily be above average. Last night it was 177 points per 100 possessions. Uh, so, you know. That's my little rant. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, that's the that that's the the question with this team, right? In the last thirty games of the season, is can you be in this stretch of time an above average offense? Probably, if you want to have real aspira aspirations of a run, you need to kind of ask yourself: Can we be a top ten, maybe even better than that uh, mm -hmm. offense here? So, you know, yesterday I was thinking about that a lot. Obviously, in the shadow of Monte Morris being acquired. And so that was kind of like my, you know, my question to Finn was about 
he couldn't talk about Morris, but I'm like, you know, what, what would this mean if you guys can just get up to average in terms of your turnover frequency when they've turned it over uh, the, the third month, the third most in the league. And then I think another part of, then another part of it is can increase in the pick and roll volume piece that turns you into an above average offense. And then I think the third one is a uh, shot selection. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. It, it really, it, and, and you'll remember this from the, the past few weeks. I mean, Rudy Gobert has started saying consistently, we need to shoot more threes than twos. And last night he made sure to like lay it on thick uh, post game. I think he said, we need to shoot more threes than twos like three or four times in his his five minutes of post-game media and you know and and it's because he's just like we make these 39 percent of the time we make our mid-range shots at about the the same clip as that like at, at, at this point you know 50 some games into the season yeah you're not going to completely like gouge out the the mid-range there but I was just thinking about that when when you're talking about Finch and Finch knows that this is what's going on well so does Rudy Gobert you know he's he, he understands what needs to shift and how important it is to put some of these things together, the turnovers, the type of play calls and the shot selection, because he knows this team, this team has to have that to be the team that they want to be. And they were that last night, and, that and game. Pe- low turnovers, pick and roll shot over 50% from three. They did all those things. And people talk about playoff experience and that is obviously very important, but there are other types of experience too that enable you to recognize something. And Rudy Gobert has a phenomenal amount of experience with teams that are roaring in the middle of the season and toward the end of the season even, and but are also letting bad habits catch up to them and aren't able to make it. To the, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Cat's been with this team like almost a decade now. He's had like three three seasons, maybe a third of the time. Uh, they, they've had a team that can be thinking a little bit about how do we do this as we get toward the playoffs. Right. Two-thirds of the time, they're thinking about, you know, uh, how are we rebuilding? Who do we, you know, how do we change our rotation? Just, you know, baby steps. And so Conley the same way, slow-mo the same way. There are people on this team that recognize that this is a workshop time. You've earned, with your really strong first couple of months, you have earned the right to start setting your context in terms of how do we become a sustainable team against all comers in different forms in the playoffs. And one of the ways you do it, obviously, is to have an offense that, is bankable in certain instances. And, you know, Finch, when we, we talked to him that day when we were one of the two of the only people at practice, and, you know, he was talking about uh, we have set plays at the end of the game that are working well for us, and they put our best scorers in space. He didn't say they isolate our best scorers so they can score on people. You put them in space so that they can make decisions, and if those decisions are correct, then they're going to be really good decisions. You know, they're going to be the kind of decisions that foster that offense. So because the isolations are the difficult twos. Yeah. They're, they're exactly what you're talking about removing yeah. from there. And Carl and Ant are like neatly 
talented to be able to make those difficult twos uh, at a high clip. Just again, often enough yeah. to make it be a bad decision. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a that that that's well put. And and I I don't know. I mean, it's I, I don't want to say they've like turned a corner because the Chicago game right. was 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 right. forty eight hours ago, but I do feel like in the last three games, the Houston, Chicago, and then last night against Milwaukee, to me, it's the most that this team has looked like the old version of themselves. That, as you put in your column, the like. 2023 version of themselves for five halves of it, right? right. right. All game against Houston, the first half against Chicago, uh, and then Milwaukee in in both. And they both are, halves. I mean, to get back to your point, they are embracing the three. I mean, they set a team uh, season record uh, for in-game with 23s against Chicago and then promptly broke that with 21 last right. night. So, I mean, two straight games, they've set the season record for most threes made. And, and, you know, a lot of that is Mike Conley working that high pick and roll with Rudy, by far the most uh, accurate and productive three-point pick and roll play that I've seen in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, and and then know, Carl's but, 11 of 22 from three in the last two games, and I'm just as encouraged by the 22 as I am the 11. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he does seem to have gotten that memo, and so that's really good. And then Ant, you know, I mean, in my column – I talk about the fact that he ranks ninth in the NBA. If this is before last night. I, I don't know if they, he went up or down on this, but he ranks ninth in the NBA in mid-range attempts. Yeah. He ranks 46th among the top 50 who take those mid-ranges in his shooting percentage. I mean, you know, guys like Bam Adebayo, uh, you know, right. are, are the, the, the... I went people, through Mexico you know, too, yeah. It's... It's, so it's just one of those things where... Uh, a, a guy that talented who is a career, you know, I mean, he's shooting 39% this year. He's raised his three-point percentage every year. He's had a career low in terms of the percentage of threes he takes. He's had a career low in terms of the plays he gets zero to three feet. Now, some of that is he's getting in the line a lot more. But at the end of the day, all of his mid-range distances are career highs. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's... Yeah, that's that's it's the thing injurious. that needs to be Yes, it, it 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 does aim to go away completely. I mean, I I when the late game offense stuff was was really bad, I thought part yeah. of the answer when they were just turning it over all the time, and Ant in particular was turning it over all the time. I'm like, you know, maybe let's yeah. just take a mid range let's throw jumper it the hoop rather than throw yeah, it the right, 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 right. Um, let me let me grab our break. We'll we'll keep going here. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company, and me and Britt will be at Falling Knife Brewing Company on February twenty uh, second to do a live show. It's I guess that's the last day of of All Star Break. The Wolves come back uh, on the twenty third. They play Milwaukee on that on that Friday. But Britt and I will be at Falling Knife on on Thursday. I will start the. We'll get there at at six and kind of do the. I'll be setting up and we'll kind of do meet and greet a sort of happy hour thing like we have every time uh, we're there. And then we'll do the show from kind of seven to eight o'clock and, and hang out for a little bit afterwards. It's I don't it's been a while since we've we've done a live show uh, in, in general. And, and we're excited to get back to to Falling Knife to kind of after we take, you know, four or five days off for all star break to, I don't know, I guess, get excited, set the scene for what the. I guess it'll be like final 25, 27 games of, of the regular season. So 
that's Falling Knife Brewing Company uh, in Northeast Minneapolis. It's always it's always a, a really fun uh, thing. Yeah, thing I really enjoy it. I, I actually look forward to these because, yeah. um, you know, you get a chance to see some people that, uh, you know, know your work. And so, I mean, they know what you're about. So they're, they're coming right. up. It, there's a context there and it's good to sometimes match a face to, you know, some of the people online who right. uh, communicate frequently and just a generally enthusiasm. Uh, I like being challenged by questions. I like, uh, you know, I like yeah, we'll ego, e ego massage, you know, <laughs> that never hurts, but uh, it's just, you know, it's just good to connect with people uh, in a kind of setting where, um, everybody's there to talk hoops and be about hoops and, uh, and, and drink good beer. So, right. Yes. And, uh, it's not a huge tap room. So I will say if it's really important for you to like get a seat and, you know, have that all, all locked in, do get there, um, at six, get there early to, to, to lock in a spot. But again, Falling Knife Brewing Company, um, in Northeast Minneapolis. And then just quickly today's show is also brought to you by prize picks. Uh, we, I was grabbing, uh, a pick from each of Chris and Kyle and myself uh, for, for the Super Bowl this Sunday. We have the free square of Patrick Mahomes over uh, 0.5 passing yards in that game. Uh, Jace had uh, Brock Purdy to, to throw uh, an interception in that game. Chris said Isaiah Pacheco will will go for more than 68 and a half rushing yards. I took Debo Samuel. I was the only person to take a less than. Maybe that's fitting. Uh, less than 59 and a half receiving yards. And Kyle gave me his his pick this morning. He says, Kyle, use check over four and a half rushing plus receiving yards. These are just a, a fun thing uh, to do on the Super Bowl. Uh, if, if all five of those hit together, you get 10 to one on your money. If hit, you get two to one. Again, that's prizepicks.com or the prize picks app. Promo code Dane for a $100 sign up bonus. All right, Brett, um, I want to get into your column. I was talking to you uh, before we hit record about how I, I read your column after the game uh, last night, after they, after the Chicago game. Right. And I read it after the Milwaukee game, which was, uh, which was actually a, a good way I think to do it. Cause it was a sort of a stress test of like, you're highlighting the things that have been going wrong in 2024 Chicago game being the, the latest example of that. And, you know, they go and look like the great or, a best version of themselves 48 hours later, which that's just as baked into their DNA. It seems this year is the, right. the bounce backs after the, the, the terrible games. But um, it was just interesting to read you sort of laying out the, the differences in this team from before the calendar flipped to, to 2024. And we, we've talked about that a little bit. I think it was right around Christmas where the late game offense stuff started to, issues started to really percolate and flipped in his head that I am the answer here. It was the bullets in the chamber uh, sort of deal. And then they've spent really the past five, six weeks trying to overcome that mentality yeah. that, uh, that, that has been hurting them. And I, I, I will say Ant specifically, like if they don't lose that Chicago game, I really think we're talking about Ant is back. Like Ant hmm. is, is the player he was pre-Christmas and I think individually it was. I mean, really, in, he looked like not perfect, right, in, in the Houston-Chicago uh, or Milwaukee game, but kind of the best version of himself. And when that, when you get that and you don't have the ant confusion about 
how should I do? How much shouldn't I do? Because sometimes he does too little right. as well. I feel like he's kind of in that that nice zone again, at least for these last three games. That reminds you of this team when it was like twenty two and six uh, earlier on right. uh, in in the season. I guess just just kind of elaborate on on that idea of what has kind of changed from twenty twenty three to twenty twenty four, and and how much of that you think they can get back to uh, for the rest of the season? Well, I think the defense was incredible. And I think what happened was the defense was spawning good offense. Um, And even with the defense spawning good offense, the offense was not efficient. Uh, But it got to the point where the offense began to be so dysfunctional what we were talking about, it began right around Christmas and, and led into, I mean, what happened is the pattern just kept getting worse. I mean, Alan Horton pointed out something about how like they blow, you know, in the last four weeks or something, they blown eight games or anyway, it was some amazing stat, but the offensive dysfunction began to encroach upon the defensive invulnerability. And what would happen in 2023 uh, especially during November and most of December, is that they would come out and just crush teams in the third quarter. I mean, just um, get to the point where they just could not, the opponent just could not do anything. Um, and the offense took advantage of those turnovers and those stops and, you know, like any, when one side of the ball is doing well, it provides momentum to the other side. And and the inverse of that, when the other side is really, really dysfunctional, it's hard to maintain an extremely high level at the other end of the court. Uh, the defense was so strong that the offense was riding along in 2023. And then the offense became so dysfunctional that the defense was damaged. I think that's the, the big picture sum up. What I would say is that um, you had a situation where there was the the gleeful joy of realizing that something was working very, very well. And when that happens, anybody who's been on a, a team, especially basketball with five players, which is just the right amount for a, a teamwork synergy or a an obvious breakdown that wrecks the whole thing. Um, but I think what you had was the idea that Rudy discovering that he could trust his teammates behind him if he roamed, the idea that uh, Mike Conley and Ant and Jaden McDaniels and Naw at that time was playing a lot of those games could really become a suffocating, you know, on-ball, pressure the ball, the Finch staple of pressuring the ball, but doing it in a manner where there were a lot of moving pieces. Um just created a situation where by the fourth quarter, most teams, I mean, in 2023, uh, they were 11 and one in crunch time. Um, and in 2024, they were three and eight. And yeah. the, the difference in terms of uh, per hundred possessions is over 40 points. There That's was 20, you know, 20, 23.7 plus um, net rating in 2023 minus 21 or something in 2024. And a lot of that was uh, the offense, but a lot of it too, it was a dozen points on defense too. difference. So 
What I saw last night, to bring it full circle, is we had that third quarter squishing again. We had that uh, just this team came out and just blanketed them. And we also had that defensive movement. Some of it was, you know, you guys didn't get to see it. I mean, it's funny. Anybody, you were at the game and uh, still in Milwaukee. But the uh, Micah Norrie had this thing before the game about how the Wolves were going to defend Giannis. And it was like Stan Van Gundy's fucking wall, you know? I mean, it's like going to be three guys out front and they were just going to meet Giannis, you know, before he even got into the paint. And it was extremely informative because sometimes I'm trying to figure out what Gobert is doing, where he is, where he is. And Micah laid out, I mean, the plan is he was 80% at the rim, 58% 58% in the paint, 33% in the mid-range, and 28% from from three. So the, close, <laughs> the closer he got to the basket, the worse it was. So just, and if you have to, if he's about to break free, take the foul. It was whole, So anyway, the wall got set up. But, of course, when you set up a wall and Giannis gets off it, he had a seven assists. But the team has to fly around. And the fly around was great. And one of the reasons, I think, was because, again, it was this joy of playing defense and playing it well. And uh, that joy got contagious. I, I just re- I remember at the, the beginning of the season, you know, we got 10 games in or whatever. You're like, holy shit, this is, this is the best defense in the NBA. Right. And I remember the word I was using all the time was pursuit. Like, mm. the wings – you know, they, they, they get screened, but the pursuit doesn't stop. And Jaden McDaniel's gangly right. arm is never out of reach of, of his man, even in which he's getting screened. And it just, it presented this, like, you know, like the, the Star Wars, the two walls, like sort of closing <laughs> in on them, where it's Jaden coming with the rear view contest into the other wall, being Rudy Gobert there at, you know, at the rim. And, and it was destructive, like defensively. Exactly. And, and and it still is when when they get when they get to that and it's they don't consistently get to it and I don't even think you can expect a team they are right. the best defense in the league and there is just a truism to eighty two games you just can't be that um, every all eighty two games and slowly as time went on and wear and tear you know they've lost a, a little bit of that and they did kind of again as you creep up to to Christmas and I think then you lose a little bit of that fly around that pursuit, which takes away a little bit from your offense. You're turning defense into offense, which puts a little bit more stress on your inefficient below average half court offense. And then that's where it was kind of like corrosive. It was like, Oh wait, our defense is not going to win us every single one of these games. Like it was at the beginning of the season. And yeah, it, it almost creates this sort of like anxiety of like crap. We have to rely on the thing we're not as as good at there, and it's actually I think a reason to believe more in this team in the playoffs. We always lay out all the things that are like a concern X, Y, and Z for the Wolves come the playoffs. But I do think in a playoff game, it's so much more likely that you're gonna get that fly around. You're gonna get that pursuit. You're gonna probably get fourth quarter defensive Rudy a lot. I mean, for a lot right. more minutes uh, w- within the course of the game. And that gives, if you can, if that can happen, right, if you can be that defense and you can do some of these things offensively that that we're talking about of even just boosting you up to right. 
slightly above average offensively. Now you got a team. Now you got a team that is put up any of those teams in the West. And yeah, we got to talk about matchups. And yeah, we got to like there's there's better and worse matchups there. And you're gonna have to do things differently. But if you get that, you can make a case for the Wolves in a playoff series, at least on paper, that they can beat you know any of these any of these teams that they're going to play and you know playoff experience whatever all the all those things are factors in there too but that's what it's got to be right you've got to be that defensive team and the offensive team that it can be and as they were last night Mm -hmm. it comes down to trust um the defense is far more trusting of each other than the offense and so on defense the fact that rudy is clearly the beacon of everything that happens on that team's defense. And when he is trusting people, um, he is both talking to them, encouraging them, but also playing like, I've got this because that teammate over there I know is going to get that. And that trust is so important. On offense, it's about Ant and Cat trusting getting off the ball, trusting that they'll either get it back or that somebody's going to be able to do something. I've noticed that Ant looks for Mike Conley more than any other teammate. And I think it's because he he really, really reveres, maybe too strong a word, but if you talk about a guy who Ant respects as an elder in the, in the hallowed sense of the word, uh, Ant and Mike Conley have an incredible bond and that extends out on the court. Anthony Edwards trusts that Mike Conley will make the right play if he gets in the ball. And last night, three of Conley's dimes, I mean, of trays were from it. And it's, Ant needs to be able to trust people more than Conley. And he, he needs to be able to get off the ball and, if that happens, that's extremely important. It also gives Cat a little sense of things. I, and I, and I, I want to just say one more thing, and that is that it seems like in the modern NBA where whistles are so important and so uh, up and down, players have to go through just venting a frustration and just uh, making a mess out of themselves and all around them because of their frustration. Cat has done it and done it. Ant just got through with it. When you talk about lately, we've seen Ant in the last few games, handful of games, the best Ant. Uh, it came after he had one more snit after he got fined and, and then continued to be a jerk about everything and continued to be distracted by what kind of whistle he was getting. And it's no coincidence that this team is beginning to hum on offense now because they don't care about the officials the last couple of games. That's really important. Well, Chicago, gets, I mean, it, yeah. it gets back to that trust thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like the, the, the idea of, of trust in that is, I mean, it's getting the trust in Rudy to match, or I guess getting the trust in Ant and Cat on offense to match the trust they have in Rudy on exactly. defense. Yep. And and those are, you know, that's obviously Cat and Ant are really talented 
offensive players, but there's, I don't know, maybe it's part because it's defense or maybe it's just because Rudy's the very best defensive player in the league and Ant and Cat are just really good offensive players, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a greater bankability. I mean, yes. we all know that from watching it and you can totally tell the, the you know, the players do too. It's not that they don't trust Cat and Ant. They right. trust Rudy on defense uh, more because that's what Rudy is, is like, if Rudy was a really good offensive player, he would be an extremely precise offensive player. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. Um, like yeah. there's just a bankability to what he is is good at, and there's um, there's a more erratic nature to to the offense of Ant and Cat. And you know you can you can double team a guy on right, offense. You right. can't double team a guy on defense. So it's I think it's a greater challenge for Cat and Ant, and it's obviously the greater challenge for this team. Because you know they're seventeenth on offense or whatever, and, and, and right. first on defense. Like it's this, this is just a, a truism of, of of where this this team is uh, right now. But but yeah, I think getting that to grow, getting that trust in the offense, specifically in your your top two guys, and then those top two guys trusting those around them, which they have done a significantly better job in. You know, that's going to make the offense better. That's going to make the turnovers go down. You know, the, the offensive right. fouls barreling into all that. It's going to get rid of the, you know, bull in a china shop drives from both Ant and Cat that right. don't get the foul. And then the hands get raised or they're laying on the ground and it's five on four the other way. Um, yeah, it's I mean, that that's just what this this comes down to is, is this team going to do that or or are they not going to be able to do it this year? And, and some people would say it's a chicken or the egg thing and that naturally these two things are linked. But I think dribbling in space, surveying the floor, driving into traffic, and complaining about the calls are three things that are all by nature deadly. Uh, they're fatal to this offense. And I, I think their record when there is a lot of dribbling, when there is a lot of driving into traffic, and when there's a lot of complaining about the refs, it's got to be hard. I mean, for this team to be, you know, twenty close to twenty games over five hundred right now, uh, I can count a dozen games where I've just what I've just described predominates. And if they've won one or two of those, I'd be shocked. Right. So again, I mean, what I want to keep emphasizing is this isn't rocket science, and it, there has to be a time when it gets through their thick skulls that they need to play a certain way. And if they play that way, glory will rain on them. And if they don't, they're exposing themselves as being chuckleheads and they need to cut it out. I mean, it's I, it, the, the idea that, you know, people say that Finch throws his players under the bus. Man, I would get a tank. I would throw them under a tank at this point. <laughs> it mean, was, you know, it just. You, uh, I, I, like, go check out uh, Britt's column. I, I would particularly recommend, like, the Ant and Finch segment in, in the middle of it. Uh, the, the, the line you had, uh, what was it? Um, where. Finch, you started started off, and we were kind of talking about it in the lens of Amp being an all-star and Finch being the all-star head coach. Talk about the mutual respect that those two like clearly have for each other. And, and the it, fact that individually, Finch's coaching and Amp's playing are two of the top attributes this team has. Sure. But 
you know. But you, but you go said ahead. you go. You said if they are on the same page, they are reading it in different languages. And I was like, man, that is so true. You know, and 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 it's the it's the shot selection stuff we do. I mean, it's it's just a it's just a really interesting collision of a respect for each other, but a totally different view uh, on the game. You know, and and what the best way in which uh, to to play it is and. The, the ant element of it is is so interesting to me. I mean, I, he is smart enough to know and says that, like, like you you said with Mike Conley, like these guys know more than me. They 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 understand this stuff. Finch knows more than me. I need to be listening to him. But then, which I don't think we probably give like enough grace to, is like what it's like to just have that talent, right? And and to be able to like get yourself to be like, all right, I am going to somewhat put this talent to the side where I can make this crazy right. shot that only five other play, whatever, and just be like, nope, I'm going to do the thing that Mike Conley and Chris Finch and Rudy Gobert uh, want me to do. And there's, it's like this internal struggle within Ant that, you know, he leans into sometimes right. and, and strays away from, you know, Finch's view of, of what it should be. It's, it gives them, some special highs of what ant can do when ant is like on fire right uh, but it also has so directly led to the the fourth quarter crumbles that that we've seen as well when ant whether it's the opponent doubling him or throwing a different look at it just doesn't allow him to efficiently kind of hit that that superstar mode i i just thought that was a a really good way to put it and it's a it's a kind of fascinating combination of of their two I don't know. They're, they're, they're brains, right? It's yeah. basketball brains. Well, to put it on a more relatable level, I think, it's like your parents telling you to clean your room or your mother telling you to clean your room, you know? And who hasn't basically said, or, you know, take out the trash, clean your room, whatever. There is this reminder. Parents are there to remind you to do things. And when you say, I will, you're totally sincere about it. But, you know, it... it it's my room, you know, or the trash, you know, that they're not going to come pick it up until tomorrow or whatever. There's always going to be something where there's just a part of you that is obtuse and you just don't, you know, you give into it sometimes just because you can, because yeah. at the end of the day, what are they going to do to you? You know, there isn't like the, the harm is not really harmful. Uh, yeah. and and they're coming at you from a position of this is for both of our goods and it's done with love and everything and you honestly love them back. But guess what? You know, I'm just not going to do it right now. And mm -hmm. I don't know where that comes from, but it is a fairly... It's, it's, a, it's angst. It's, 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 it's a coming of age thing. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fairly universal thing. I mean, yeah. and, and I think it's just, I understand it. Um, I just think it at some point in time, uh, the fallout, and everybody, you know, I know, we've talked about it many, many times. It's a legitimate thing. And has that competitive, I need to win inside him. And sooner or later, hopefully sooner, and it seems like increasingly, I think it's he's coming out of it, that competitive desire, this is the way to win will overtake this kind of angsty thing that you're talking about. Yeah. And 
that process can't come soon enough for this Wolves team. And what I find interesting is that Cat tends to follow Ant's lead. If if Ant is being, all right, you know, let's take on these MFers, you know, let's, you know, I got the dribble, here we go. Cat will go, yeah, you know. Me too. <laughs> My time. Yeah, here it's it's the it's the two teenage brothers <laughs> against the parent, right? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I mean it's that's why last night, you know, and the Bucks did help out their defense. You know, Doc oh Rivers has God. not been the answer. Uh, that you know they don't have Drew Holiday. Who knew that Drew Holiday for Dame Lillard was at the very least even up. In, well, in and, right and then now. not replacing perimeter deep. I mean, yeah. they've replaced Drew Holiday functionally with Malik Beasley actually on the deep, which is side absurd. Of the floor, I mean, anybody is, anybody who's been a Wolves fan during Malik Beasley's tenure here knows that he talks a good game and he shows a decent game, but mm-hmm. the last fifteen to twenty percent of what you knew to need to do to finish off a good defensive possession is beyond him. Yeah, he can like, stay with a guy in terms of looking good, but he cannot do more than look good on defense. He cannot be good. It's a Halloween costume. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> That's a great line. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Doer, D-U-E-R. And you've heard me telling you about my Doer jeans that I have, but Doer just also sent me a pair of they're no sweat pants. And I'm just a big fan of a pair of pants that looks good. You know, it looks like a dress pant. It looks formal that you can wear out there, but it doesn't feel like that. It's got that stretch to it. It's got that comfort to it. And these no sweat pants that they gave me in like a, it's a relaxed taper ones I got in black. I can wear them with everything. And I just really like that feeling. And I think Doer has has sort of nailed that the look with the comfort. They make stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for men and women with elevated styles that stand apart and they're made from natural fibers for that high stretch and breathability. I really think, you know, if you're looking for some new pants, some winter pants, you know, consider these. Trust me, you need Doer in your wardrobe. Order your new favorite jeans or pants today. Check out Doer's flagship stores in LA or Denver, or shop online at shopdoer.com slash Moore. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use my special URL, shopdoer.com slash Moore. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoer.com slash Moore. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate. And that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, it was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, Check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. 
create an account and use code Dane Moore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code Dane Moore, all one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's move into Monte Morris. And, um, I mean, I, I did a quick little, like right afterwards, uh, episode on it. And it was actually I, for listeners, if you, if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, I'd recommend it because I had uh, Ryan Blackburn on who, who covers the nuggets, um, and has, has for a long time. And he really, he really detailed, you know, saved me a lot of like needing to watch film time of just having that storehouse knowledge of covering a player you just kind of know the the ins and outs and i thought i thought that was that was really helpful to just i mean the first thing he said was like mike conley light um and and i think that's the that's the vision of this move right brett is yeah is is 48 minutes of mike um obviously you know discount mike or whatever and we got to see if monte morris is healthy and shape and um it's it was a couple years ago that he filled in for jamal murray when he was hurt and uh, Morris was was great that season. Like we don't we don't know what Ryan was talking about uh, the, that version of Monte Morris. We don't know if that still exists. Um, but in theory, the style, the archetype of point guard that uh, that that Monte Morris is um, is is Mike, and it gives you some insurance policy there over the you know over the course of the game. You know, I think about coming out of the break. I think they have three back to backs. Like right away, I think the first six games mm-hmm. are, are maybe back to backs, or maybe the, one of the there's a seventh game in there somewhere. But it's gonna be a lot more back to backs uh, the the rest of the way, and I think Morris gives them, you know, get if Mike needs a night off, you you can you can maybe start him there, or just if you tone down Conley's minutes, he he can fill in there some. What a yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of, I think we all kind of have like the same answer of what we think Morris Morris can help here. But I'm just curious. You and I haven't talked at all about uh, the right. things that happened. I, I really like the deal. I thought uh, in terms of the credibility 
I thought that the Washington season after that Denver season you're talking about really extends the notion mm-hmm. that he can be that kind of player. Uh, it, it, the team obviously was not nearly as talented. He did have Beal, who I think was hurt a lot, but and it was That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but his assist to turnover ratio stayed really, really high. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like six, 639 assists and 140 turnovers or something. Anyway, it was 4.8 is his assist to turnover ratio. And that's starting over 130 games. I mean, yeah. he started over 70 for uh, Denver and he started over 60 for Washington. He was the starting point guard two years in a row before this season. So it was just last year that he was finishing up his second year as a starting point guard with an assist to turnover ratio of nearly five to one. Also, he was in both seasons hit over 38% of his threes. Uh, So, you know, he um, hasn't had a bad three point shooting year. I Except mean, for this year. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's he, only he, played he, 68 minutes, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was seeing some of that of like, oh, he's washed. Look, he's shooting yeah, 18% yeah, yeah, from yeah. three. I watched, Six. he's taking 11 threes this year. I watched him. And, two of them, and he's coming, two of them off were half quad, coming off a quad injury, yeah, yeah, for yeah, God's yeah. sake. I mean, you know, so, but uh, I went back and looked at a lot of clips, especially in the Denver time. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really been able to, I've just been here. I, 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 I haven't had the chance to watch a lot of the Denver stuff yet. What is really encouraging to me is he knows his place. He, uh, if if he has an open shot, he'll take it. If he's running a pick and roll and they're clearly going with the roll man, he will stay with the ball and try to finish. But when he can be deferential, he is deferential and he makes good decisions. Um, his mid-range and and at the rim game did not look that impressive to me, but the numbers are really the, good though. I, I so right? I think he's okay. only taken them. It was like that uh, that that Denver year was like almost seventy percent at the rim, and I think it was forty eight percent from mid range. All right, good. And uh, uh, I mean, real. I, I think that, it's that may owe to his decision there. making. He may yeah. be you know again. He doesn't force anything he can't force. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember. You know, not only the year he started in Denver, but the year he had to fill in. I think Murray got hurt the year before yeah. as well, uh, mm-hmm. and he really had to. And and he was also part of that bench unit um, with yeah. Beasley, as it turns out. You know, in that time about four years ago. Right. And I was always, I was. It was interesting to me to watch. He hit big shots, um, and he also helped the team he, he's been a plus minus guy uh his entire career i would say even more than conley light he might be tyus jones light in some respects for sure uh, i mean i think it's the it looks i mean just having watched a lot of the clips and you know having watched a lot of tyus jones i mean that's that's just the comparison i would make i mean yeah it it, it, it looks extremely similar tyus gets tyus doesn't really like come in and take 16 foot mid range jumpers, like real right. jumpers. He gets in about to 12 and takes the right. loader. That's true. And that is a difference. Right. But I mean, largely it's, I, I was just going and, you know, you're like, oh, Monty Morris, like great, uh, great assist to turnover ratio. So, and, you know, went to, went to the leaderboard. Did, did you see this? 2018 19. Yeah, that was a cool tweet. 
First in assist to turnover ratio, Tyus Jones. Second in assist to turnover ratio, Monte Morris. 2019-20, best assist to turnover ratio, Tyus Jones. Second best in the league, Monte Morris. 2020-21, best assist to turnover ratio, Tyus Jones. Second best, Monte Morris. The next year, 2021-22, best assist to turnover ratio, Tyus Jones. Second best was Trey Jones. Monte Morris was fifth. The year after that, 2022-23, this is the Washington year. Best assist to turnover ratio, Tyus Jones. Second best. Monte Morris. And then this year, the, the two best assisted turnover ratios are Tyus Jones and Mike Conley. Mike Conley was right around the top five and all those two. So the Wolves are like, holy shit, we have a turnover problem. These are the guys who are the very best that they, you know, considered Tyus Jones as well. They deeply believe that, you know, they just need to inject more ball control uh, into this team. It's very much actually to, you know, the bench version of it. It very much reminds me of the thought process behind the Gobert trade, where in that 21-22 season, you know, the Wolves couldn't play drop coverage to save their life. Uh, They couldn't couldn't defensive rebound, um, couldn't defend the rim. They go, okay, we'll go get the guy who is the very best at rim protection, drop coverage, and yeah, at defensive rebounding, Rudy Gobert. And they went and looked at their issues of this team this season, turnovers. And they said, all right, the best available, or maybe Tyus would be, so the second best, apparently, according right. to those lists. And and they they plugged that in there. I don't believe that those equations work. I don't think that you do that, it exactly fixes the problem, as we've learned with Gobert. But you get the thought process behind it. And when an issue, like the rebounding, was so egregious pre-Gobert, you have to address it uh, to, to some degree. And they have to address the, the turnover issue. Here and you know, I think that's what they did with with Morris. And a big difference between the Gobert deal and the Monte Morris deal is the lack of disruption that comes from the Monte Morris deal. That's a great the point. idea that you can get this guy and punt less than a million dollars uh, to make it happen, and mm-hmm. to have the same situation, assuming they weren't going to re-sign Troy Brown Jr. And Shake Morris, they had options on both of them next year. Um, and that Monte Morris is, have, is, has an expiring. So, uh, yeah, okay, the cost certainty isn't the same. But don't you get the impression Monte Morris signed that contract um, at a time when um, his value was close to peak value? He may Jim, be. Jim Conley he, gave him that. He may be a Nikhil Alexander Walker type who suddenly he says, hey, this is a really good fit for me. I like the way this team works. I'll take a little less to mm-hmm. stick around and be in this rotation. Um, well, if, and- they, if, they, if they can find that, and also the whole idea of, you know, Mike Conley's not getting any younger. I can find myself once again being, if not the starter, a very important presence on a very good team that may be worth, you know, maybe a slight pay cut or no more, and certainly not a raise from the nine, eight he's getting now. Um, well, I let's just, just let's that, call it seven. Let's just yeah. say, you know, that's what Monte right. Morris's next contract was going to be yeah. seven. Well, if they didn't trade for Monte Morris, they're not going to have the mid-level exception. They don't, obviously don't have cap space. There would be no way for them to sign Monte Morris in the offseason. Now, by acquiring him, you get, as I, I talked about this in the last episode too, you get his bird rights, which allows you the opportunity to offer him the next, you know, you don't need cap. If you have someone's bird rights, you yep. don't need cap space. You don't need a mid-level exception to be able to do that. So now 
if Monte Morris's value next contract is seven million a year and the Wolves deem that they want that, well, they, you know, they can give that to him. And at what cost, right? Shake Milton, Troy Brown Jr., two guys who weren't paying playing, and then their most distant second round pick. Just paying a second round pick to have the potential to be able to sign a backup point guard or a point guard that you feel like could potentially fit your system. That's just the opportunity cost there just checks out big time. And he is somebody who can give you a bucket from mm-hmm. distance Yeah, off the bench. I mean, mm-hmm. and um, aside from Nas Reed, that just hasn't existed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Nas has been surprisingly good at it. Um, but I do notice a lot of that is shot selection and playing with the first unit. He gets a lot of those nice dishes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the bench is a little thin, you know, but on the other hand, it's better because you're not rolling dice with with bad dice. <laughs> I asked uh, I asked Finch uh, about Morris after the game. We were finally able to ask him about it once the, the deal went through. Uh, this is what Finch had to say. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be just to have another um... – you know, he's a winner. He's uh just kind of makes the right play, super solid, low turnover guy. Um, you know, he's used to really playing with a lot of you know, playing off of a lot of um kind of star players really well. I think like it's a fairly seamless uh kind of com- a partnership with Mike. You know, it's not like you have like this other type of guard that you have to adjust to. Um and just, you know, just his high basketball IQ. Like, you can't have enough of those guys. Um, and, you know, I didn't I didn't cross path with, with him in Denver. I had left the season that, before he came, but I've heard nothing but amazing things. Um, you know, I was able to talk to him and, um, you know, you know, just, just, uh, just really, 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 uh, you know, excited to have him, you know. Kind of vision of the role he might have. What does it kind of look like in your mind? Minutes or Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, I think there's certainly minutes to be had there. Uh, you know, guys like, you know, Jaden and Mike, of course, uh, have been logging heavy minutes. Um, you know, I think uh, Ant, uh, you know, we've been pushing his minutes out a little bit, like in this period of time here in the in the run-up to the all-star break maybe we can steal a couple from him so the, i don't think finding minutes will be a problem um it's just we're gonna you know find the right combinations of guys and that's kind of the fun part about it that will be the interesting part right brett is yeah. figuring out what it is because that that isn't a role you know that isn't a role taking right. uh three minutes away from mcdaniels conley uh and ant um, he needs a baseline part of his role, which I think is the J-Mac, um, you know, nine minutes a night or whatever it is, a five or six minute stint in the first half, five or six minutes stint in the second half if he gets one. Um, I mean, that's that, maybe not immediately, but are, are, are we expecting Morris to be in that ninth spot in, in the pecking order, keeping Nikhil, Nas, and, and Kyle Anderson above him? Yes. And I think that, what I like, I think what he meant by Jaden, to be honest with you, is that Kyle Anderson doesn't necessarily have to be the de facto point guard of the second unit anymore. And yep. therefore, he can be on the floor with, uh, you know, he can be 
giving Jaden uh, minutes off at the three in that first unit if they want to go rotation that way. And uh, I think with Ant, uh, Ant doesn't necessarily need to be on the floor with the second unit all the time uh, because they don't have enough shooting. This is actually, uh, it's, it's, I think what he was talking about when he talked, when he referenced both Ant and Jaden is kind of talking about the fact that we have a shooter off the bench as well as a playmaker, because when slow-mo is with the second unit, you don't have a shooter. And when Ant is on the bench, you don't have a shooter. Now you can give Ant some bench time and now you can give slow-mo some time that isn't with the second unit. Um, both of those things happen because there's a little bit more procreative scoring that doesn't rely on slow-mo's playmaking or Ant's offense would be my take. I don't know if it's true, but that's the way I would look at it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Brett, can we do a little uh, looking back on the Nikhil Alexander-Walker and, and Mike Conley trade uh, sure. a year later? That that was just on my mind. Um, Best trade in Wolves history. <laughs> it was. I, I, I mean, I, I, did a, I did a story on it. I did a yeah. column. I'm looking at all of them. Jim Pete had Tom Gugliotta ahead of it, which uh, I got to think is just the book isn't totally closed. It's only been a year. But, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, just first of all, you get rid of D'Lo. Uh, they did get rid of Daniel Marshall for, for Gugliotta. I mean, it was like Googly, that Gugliotta deal was in my top five as well, maybe even second or third. But there's no way that Tom Gugliotta uh, being acquired is a better trade acquisition than Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, especially at the cost of losing D'Lo. Yeah, cost, I mean, it cost was- and quote. It was, you know, the value, I think first and foremost, the the value that uh, Mike brought to the roster and his style of play as a point guard versus Delo's style of play as a point guard, which had kind of even stopped being a point guard. He, I mean, he would, he said, he he's running into the guard. same trouble. I mean, he, he ran into, yeah. he hasn't, there's a reason he's been on six teams in five yeah, I, years. I don't, I don't want it. We don't got yeah, that. I know, I know, but I'm just saying, you know, it's just, right. it, it, it isn't. He doesn't play a position mm-hmm. that he theoretically is supposed to play, and right. and that can create a lot of problems. And Mike Conley can only play one, one position, position really, and that is point guard. Even and every team he's been on has benefited exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's a huge difference. And and I think you know that alone would have been a win, Conley Conley right. for Delo right. there. I would also 
you know, point to, you know, three seconds doesn't sound like a lot uh, that, that they got in that trade. But when you're a team who has no firsts to be able to, to right. trade, you know, having those seconds allowed them to trade up to get Leonard Miller, yep. which, you know, obviously to be was determined. their first round pick, right? Yeah. Um, they, but it, it gave him the ammo to be able to do that and then to go and be able to add another piece at the, the deadline here in, in Monte Morris. I think yep. if you don't make the D'Lo for Conley trade, uh, you maybe don't have the assets to go be able to get Monte Morris. We'll see how well, you know, that all ages. But right now it makes, again, on, on paper, makes makes a bunch of sense. I, I don't know if it's it's the biggest part of it, but it's my favorite story from, from that trade is is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And um, just, I, I think his role on this team is obviously extremely important. We've we've talked about that in length, but the, the story part of it is kind of the the person element of it hmm. and and what he's been able to to grow in and and be when that you know was largely looked at as a you know as a throw in 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 that trade a potential diamond in the rough and it's just turned out to be a you know a, a diamond and uh, I, I asked Nikhil about this at, at shoot around before the game uh, against Milwaukee, just what's grown the most in his game. And I think what has grown most in his game is what has made him such an integral part of it. Here's, here's Nikhil, what he had to say. Nikhil, where do you think your, your game has grown the most in this, in this year? Mm. I would say decision-making in the paint. I remember like my rookie year, we and my friends, like, um, probably even Finch, you know, would say it himself, uh, getting into the paint, I was always like, trying to drive, trying to score. My mindset, I think my drive, a lot of times, me and Joe talk about it, just the uh, points per possession on kickouts, do drives. Um, so, you get under control, reading the game, stuff like that, I think, for me, has been one of the improvements. So I look back, I'm like, dang, I'm, I'm actually really really good at that. That's something I, I trust now, like to be aggressive and to make a play for somebody else outside of myself. And I, I, would, and I, I would say defensively, I'm constantly making a shot further and further to be better. Right. It was interesting, like to go back and, and look at the numbers from that, uh, that rookie season from Nikhil uh, in 2019-20, only six players that played over 500 minutes shot a worse percentage at the rim than Nikhil did that season. It's 45%. And only 19 of those 500 plus minute guys turned it over at a higher rate than Nikhil Alexander-Walker did that season. I mean, it was, that's what he was kind of supposed to be. And like right away, it was like, he's, he's nowhere uh, near being able to do that. Well, you look now four years later, at where it's at and he's up to 63% at the rim and his turnover rate has dropped to 12.6% down for 15.4. So he's gone from the very bottom of the barrel in that to that's about league average for, mm-hmm. for his, his position there. And, and then also it's, it's not just the making it at the, at the basket or the not turning it over. He's become like those numbers that say it's league average undersell it because they don't capture when he gets to the basket and is able to kick, he's ambidextrous. He's throwing like, you know, 70 mile an hour fastballs with his left hand into the opposite corner for, for Nas Reed or cat up at the, at the top of the floor. And while he hasn't been a great pick and roll scorer, he's been well below average in that when he comes off the screen and tries to go score himself, he's been able to score a little bit on that. 
If I was looking at it, just if you isolate from when he runs pick and roll and he makes a pass and that player takes a shot, it's 1.24 points per possession mm. uh, this season, which is just that. I mean, is, yeah, that's, you know, that's one, really is, one is great. I, I, I looked it up. Tyrese Halliburton on the season in pick and roll. Granted, he runs a lot more. Mm-hmm. His is 1.23. Um, you know, obviously, Nikhil, if you scaled it, it, it probably wouldn't be that. But, um, yeah, just to, to loop back in the trade thing, to, to not only get a player that can help, but to be able to foster his development into becoming okay, really uh, – I think you can make the case that he's the sixth man on, on this team. I mean, not to say that Nas has had a bad season, but it's kind of like the, you know, should – should Rudy be an all-star or should Cat? Well, it's like, you know, I don't know. They're the number one defense. And then right. between Nas and Nikhil, it's like, well, Nikhil's one of their best defenders. Um, I just think it's that that part of it is is a major win. And I think, you know, you know that. And those people that are, that are watching this team very closely know that Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been a, a godsend for them. But it, I think it's worth, you know, remembering a year later. I think what's... Very important is confidence. Yeah. And uh, he had so much turbulence early in his career. Um, as you said, what he was supposed to be coming out of school, he was not. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where you know, he could have been, you know, like Kevin Knox or something. You know, some guy who was like, you know, going to be somebody who was uh, a journeyman. Um, people always hoping that they could tap into whatever it was people saw in him when they drafted him. Um, and he had a makeup that um, he just needed some positive reinforcement. And you got to give Chris Finch a lot of credit. First of all, he recommended doing Tim Connolly made that deal and people raised why was McKeel involved in it. He said Finch specifically recommended that inclusion. Finch had him his rookie year. Yeah, he, he was there. He saw the 45% at the rim right. and the insane turnover rate. And and I think that he had a niche for himself, especially after Jaden went down last year after he came over. He came over in February, like a year ago, yesterday, or whatever it was, and really proved himself in the play-in against Shea and did a really good job on Murray in the playoffs. I thought, quite frankly, he was one of the two or three best players on the team in that first-round series, a lot of it because of what he did in making Murray work. Um, And so he had a niche there, but Jaden was obviously – I mean, it's a starting five that's going to be very hard to crack, and he didn't get off to a great start in the starting lineup, it was obvious, you know, people were ready for Jaden to come back when he came back. But as he settled in more and as his offense and his ability to see the court and make the right decisions, as he just got through talking about, began to come more and more into focus. Um, And his shot began to go down. I just think he was coached well, not only by Finch, but by the staff, the situation, people were patient with him. They featured him. I thought it was kind of interesting that they kind of waited him out in the free agency period. I thought that was kind of weird, but uh, and got him for a bargain price. But they have been good to each other in terms of what's happened in terms of his development. And 
I just think that one of the reasons he's a fan favorite and one of the reasons why we all really like him is because goodness just exudes off of him. He is uh, an unpretentiously nice guy who wants to give you the time of day, is totally honest about himself, warts and all, and really does seem to treasure and recognize what he believes is a privileged situation for him right now. Yeah. And, and in the NBA where so many people have been venerated and, and fawned over their entire careers to the point where when it's not going well and they have adversity, they have a tendency to blame others. And then when they come out of that adversity, sometimes don't learn from it, sometimes say, all right, things are finally back where they should be. And they have an attitude. And this is not everybody, but there is enough of that attitude in the NBA. You see that in players. When you, you see you somebody, need the, you need the coach to to be able to like pull that out of you. And, and Finch has talked about how you know he was there in New Orleans with Nikhil, and and he thought back then that Nikhil was miscast mm-hmm. into what the role the front office was kind of in New Orleans was trying to make you know Nikhil be. Finch said this was. This was the type of player he thought McKeel always was, and then you or would be a best place to start, right? And and then kind of build from there. As good of a dude in his heart of wor- working as McKeel Alexander Walker is or appears to be, it's not um, that doesn't take you anywhere without a coach that kind of puts you in a position to do those things. Because he could have been like, you know, they could have brought him in and they could have been like, nope, you're the Jalen Noel out, you're the backup point guard here. For, for this team and we just want you to you know run the offense right and that that's that's your job well if that would have been the job he was given a year ago he's probably not even back on the team and he's certainly not the player uh he is he is today so I don't know if that's Finch Conley whatever but the the recognition of of putting him in the position that appears to be the best position for him um yeah it's it's made him the sixth man I mean the sixth man on the best team in the what best record in the west uh, that's a that's a coup, man. That, that's that's huge. And his ability to negotiate screens, um, is extraordinary. And and that's trial and error in the NBA. You don't come into the NBA right. knowing how to get through NBA screens. I mean, maybe Chris Dunn is about the only guy yeah. I can think of as a rookie that I saw that went, "Wow, that guy breaks up screens as a rookie." Mm-hmm. I mean, it just doesn't happen very often. And uh, the way he does that is a combination of sometimes he goes over the screen, sometimes he goes under the screen, uh, but there is a a combination, exactly, I was about to say the combination of uh, he has a plan and he has a purpose of how to execute that plan as it's happening. It's an instinctual thing that also involves prior knowledge of what he wants to do. But it's one of those things that will never appear on a stat sheet. But if if Nah is on you, odds are if you're running pick and roll, you're in for a harder time than you thought you were going to be. Uh, Absolutely. And, and that, is, uh, that, that is a frustrating thing for a player who just usually plays pick and roll and expects a certain level of space when they're executing it. You ever think about like 
or where do you think this team would be if they didn't get Mike Conley in that trade? Um, I think they'd be in disarray. Uh, I, I it's hard to, it's hard to make a case that they wouldn't be. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is, first of all, um, Rudy Gobert has to, you know, he should, you know, give Mike a big chunk of his salary every day at this point. Uh, I mean, it, Mike Conley gave Rudy Gobert credibility on the offensive end that he otherwise would not have. I mean, he just would not have it because Kyle Anderson did a great job before Conley showed up. Um, but it was spoon feeding. I mean, it was, you could, it was like, uh, a guy in a high chair and, and baby food, you know, going, or like a, uh, a bird with their, you know, I mean, it was so obvious this is what I'm going to do for you now, Rudy. I'm going to throw the ball up in the air, and you're going to catch it and put it in. And Mike Conley had experience with him, had gone through the rough spots, and knew how to run a smooth pick and roll, which was impossible with any other player on the team, including slow-mo. Mike Conley came, and they began to run smooth pick and rolls, and you went, oh, okay, you know, he, he isn't a total klutz, you know. And now we're talking about it being the answer for fixing – the Timberwolves exactly, off. and a lot of that again having him around and then being able to have a veteran who knows how to play, not fly around defense, and not all this other high fluke things that Rudy probably disparaged coming in. Uh, and it became whatever it is something where you're trying to change something and the other side doesn't want to change, you just dig in. Well, all of a sudden, if you have arguments for your side and more credibility for your side, that's when you begin to listen to the other side. You say, okay, I don't have to prove myself anymore. We are doing things a certain way that work. Now I will also listen to what they want. Rudy became, I think, a lot more open-minded and a lot less stubborn uh, because of Mike. And and then, you know, I mean, we'll, what what would happen with Ant? I mean, I just Anthony Edwards is a more mature dude. I mean, you and I in the locker room are more mature dudes. Just talking to that guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, he is, uh, he's coach material. If he ever wanted to be, I can't imagine him not being a successful coach. I mean, if he wants to run a, a, a NBA basketball team, he will be very good at it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a crazy thought, you know, to revisionist history that in uh, in a different way. I mean, shout out Russell Westbrook for needing to have his salary dumped to the Utah Jazz and kind of making this 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 all possible. And you know, and obviously credit to the front office for jumping on that. But yeah, man, I. I if you think about the, that alternative path, if that just doesn't happen or if Mike Conley in that trade goes to the Lakers and something else happens to the Wolves. Yeah, I don't know. Literally 365 days later, uh where where this where this Wolves team is at like which is right. funny where they're at is they're like we actually need more Mike Conley. How do we get 16 more minutes a night of Mike Conley? Okay, we're going to go trade for the player who's most like Mike Conley. I mean, he is Mike Conley has become the blueprint of the Timberwolves. Like he's not the the star player and a lot of people, you know, outside of Minnesota, like, oh yeah, Mike Conley, like, you know, good solid 
sorry, but there, there is not an understanding that maybe the way to put it is Mike Conley wrote the blueprint, made copies of it, passed it around to everyone else in the locker room and, and was like, all right, you know, if we do this, we're going to empower this player that you just traded everything for. And if you don't empower him, you're going to be screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it in a very like unassuming Mike Conley way as he does. It's uh yeah. And yeah. you know what I suspect? I suspect that people in Memphis and Utah already know this. <laughs> I, I, I think it is one of those things that um, it's one you have to be there. You have to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that grit and grind team, if you think about it, right. who were the shooters? You know? I mean, on Memphis, it was, I mean, Tony Allen, Marcus all okay, was, you know, he had, he had his times. Um but that team wasn't loaded with shooters, and uh, they played a grinding defense. But I remember Mike Conley even back then. I didn't appreciate it nearly to the extent I do now as the regulator. And yeah. one could argue that Mike Conley's firm embrace of the things that will not get you recognized is why he is so good. Um, and it, the, the absence of ego in terms of needing to be noticed, I think the guy's made one all-star team in his entire career. He will be in the hall of fame anyway, uh, because his body of work is just phenomenal. And, you know, I've got to remember remember when Finch said that one time, he goes, I wonder what the stat is for how many days in Mike Conley's career. (laughs) He's been on the number one seed in the Western Conference. Actually, I think Jace looked it up or something. I don't remember. I don't remember what it uh, what it was. But that that right there, maybe some people are like Hall of Fame. That right there is Mike Conley's uh, Hall of Fame candidacy is is that number and everything that lies beneath that. That, like you said, you have to kind of be there. Uh, to to appreciate, but yeah, in one year we certainly appreciated <laughs> the the front well, office yeah. and the locker room. And Chris Finch uh, does tenfold to even what we do. What what Chris Finch and Tim Connolly have done um, in this last eighteen months, um, I've got to you know. I mean, I was a huge skeptic of Gobert. Um, I didn't like the way Connolly came in. Uh, and it, it is just very obvious now that whether it was A-Rod and Lori, who are two other guys I like to punch, uh, they argued for Conley's hiring. It was a big splash. They gave him a ton of money. I thought it was just a bunch of, you know, uh, ownership, ego, young guys who didn't really know the game, trying to put themselves in a, in a situation that they were clueless about. Even if it was accidental, I got to, you got to hand it to him. It was what has happened with this Timberwolves team has been a rehabilitation of competence that has been extraordinary. I mean, I've been here for the entire thing except for the first year. And after Garnett left, this team became the stumble bums of all professional team sports. And the Tibbs blip was fun. Uh, The Jimmy Butler time was eventful and that produced some really good moments. But 
what has happened since uh, Finch replaced Ryan Saunders and then Conley replaced Rosas and eventually Sasha Gupta, who I think did a, a decent job in the holdover spot, uh, did well. Um, is just and then Lori and Arod replaced Taylor. Yeah, and 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 Taylor went along with it. Uh, you know, went along with their plans, and uh, you know, you got to give him credit for that. Uh, but I think the most credit belongs to Tim Connolly for sticking his neck out and getting Rudy Gobert, doubling down, and then making the Connolly trade, making the Monte Morris trade. Whatever we're going to think about the Monte Morris trade, let's say it doesn't work out, yeah. there is superb reasoning behind it. It is a good thing for the salary cap. It is a good thing for the locker room. It is a good thing for the style of play they want to play. Um, it is an extremely sound decision. And uh, it and they it all just, have been, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you, you think about that, you get all the trades are coming through yesterday. At the well, go bear, you know. Oh, you mean all but, the trade deadline? Yeah, okay. I thought you Yeah, where we're, we're, I guess, yeah, isolate the Gobert thing. Put that up yeah. there. That's its own yeah. weird thing. But, you know, following like the, the, the trade deadline and NBA transactions closely, you know, there's just a handful of those teams where you're like, what, what are they doing? You know, right. Right. Make, you know, the, the Detroit's and the, what they like, oh, Toronto yeah. doing, right. You know, there, there hasn't been a move on the margins that have, has not like totally checked out the, you know, the logic of it. And then it, then they've grown to be even better than that. Like you're like, okay, I get, you know, I get the Mike Conley move there. I get the, the Kyle Anderson signing, you know, all, all of these somewhat marginal things that they did have proven real value without ever paying significant compensation for them. Now they did the significant compensation for the Rudy thing. And that's its whole, that's, that's an hour long conversation in and of itself, but it's a, it's a good feeling to have a trust in, in your front office that they aren't going to do anything just wildly dumb, you know, again, in, in the marginal things, I know some people are still, there's, there's arguments to be made about the, the Gobert thing, but I think that's what, when teams go from good to great, they nail those marginal moves at such a high rate with such a low risk of, of what they've given up. And to that end, um, the, this front office has seems to have, have really nailed that. And, you know, Amate Morris will be, will be the next thing there. Britt, uh, I got to check out of my room here at the, at the hotel, uh, <laughs> no but, but this, uh, th this was fun. Um, I I'm glad we both got a good basketball game and an interesting uh, trade deadline this week. We got a handful of days off now, no game Friday, Saturday um, or Sunday. And then it's, uh, it's the, the rest of the road trip uh, before, you know, before the all-star break. Yeah, you, are you going to Portland? I know you're probably not going yeah. to LA, right? I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to LA cause that's a back to back, but yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in Portland all Monday through Friday uh, next week. They play in Portland on, on Tuesday, Thursday. So actually Kyle didn't do a pod with me this week. He's, he was out of town, but uh, yeah, for listeners, it'll be uh, a lot of me and Kyle and Kyle lives in Portland and we'll be, uh, you know, I guess kind of covering the, those two Portland games in a similar way to how we've covered this, these bulls and, and bucks games this week. So yeah, that's uh, three more games, right? That's it. Right. Three more until, right. until the all-star yep. break and we'll see. Uh, I do appreciate you doing it. Um, I do think the, the column holds uh, from that, that came out after, after the bulls game, it's 
honestly, maybe a little bit more interesting to read after a bounce back game because it gives you that stress test of, you know, it, the, not being totally results oriented. Um, so I'd, I'd really recommend that. Uh, what's, what's the, what's the title? I'm, it's on Brits, it's on Brits Twitter, but another second half collapse is real cause for concern for the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's maybe a little hot of a headline because you go into a lot of other stuff there below, but, uh, do check that out, um, over at Min post and, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Brit next week and then keep, um, yeah, that February 22nd date on your calendars for uh, a live show with Britt and I at Falling Knife, where we'll kind of, I guess, preview the the rest, the post All-Star break part of the season. And we always like take, we'll, help, we'll bring a third mic and we like taking uh listener or people who are there uh, questions. There. So we'll dig into all that too. Um, yeah, he's Britt Robson. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Until uh, next week uh, after the Clippers game, he's Britt. I'm Dane. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.